0: Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross, really pumped for today's episode. We're going to talk to Mike Cation. Mike Cation is a guy who is almost always ahead of the curve on any player who scales the ranks of the Challenger Tour, as Wu Wee Bing did last year. And last week, he wins the Dallas Open. He becomes the first Chinese man to ever win an ATP title. Whatever he does from now on, just basically assume he's the first Chinese man to ever do it. But Wu, with his unique story, a game that's rather scintillating, he was the story of last week, and uh, no one better to talk about Wei Bing than Mike. Also some other guys uh, who have kind of been notable, who Mike has recently seen on the Challenger Tour, or called matches on the Challenger Tour, uh, like Arthur Feast and Ben Shelton, which we'll get into. Really busy week, though. Some other stuff to also hit on. So I will do that quickly before the conversation with Mike Cation. Let's start with Yannick Sinner, Montpellier, wins the title there, moves up three spots in the rankings. Uh, I I think it goes back to Sinner and what was different about last year. Because last year, Sinner dropped uh, out of the top 10, four or five ranking spots, was 17 in the world coming into last week off of his career high of number nine. So on paper, he regressed, but it didn't feel like he regressed. And it was a a source of mass confusion. Why is Sinner 17 in the world? I just want to reiterate the point. The reason why he was 17 in the world and why it didn't feel like it is because last year he wasn't winning Montpellier. And that's why his ranking dropped. It didn't feel like Sinner regressed because at the majors, he actually improved. He had a better year at the majors in 2022 than he did in 2021. So that's why it felt like, well, Sinner got better. Uh, but no, the big difference was in 2021, Yannick won four titles, three 250s and a 500. In 2022, he won Umag. That was his only title. He wasn't taking home your Montpellier's of the world. So to me, this is just Sinner back on the upward trajectory. And he's going to get there soon. He's up to 14 now. So he moved up three spots off the Montpellier title. He was the only player all week to break the serve of Maxime Cressy, who he beat in the final. He played a nearly perfect tiebreak in the first set after uh, Cressy opened with a double fault. I thought that was really, really impressive. And... Then, in the second set, at 3-all, that's when he... Or I think it was 3-4, actually. That's when he broke Cressy's serve. And, uh, again, nobody had done that to Cressy all tournament long. Confident serve and volley. Two first serves. Indoor. Hardcourt. Pretty speedy. A lot to deal with. Tough to break that serve. Yannick was the only guy to do that. I, he still has one of my favorite returns of serve on tour. Uh, just does a really nice job of driving the return... When he's on the stretch. Where a lot of guys, especially on the two-hander. Where you theoretically can lack a little bit of reach. A lot of two-handed backhands, especially when they're stretched out on the backhand. They take that left hand off the racket quite easily. And against Cressy, when he's coming in. Man, if you're if you're blocking the return. You're giving him too much time. Um, and to, to kind of close the net. And hit a good first volley. So Sinner just does a really good job. Stretched out on both the backhand and the forehand. Of still getting some pace on the return. Still keeping the return um, low at times. And he was making good returns right down the middle. Against Cressy. Which was a very effective tactic. Just not allowing him any real angle on that first volley. So good straight set win for Sinner. He is back on the way up. After winning Montpellier. Baez goes from 0 to 100. Sebastian Baez was on a horrific slump. Was in a horrific slump, I should say. He had lost 16 of his last 17 matches. Coming into last week. It all dates back to uh, the Bostad final. He actually picked up the biggest win of his career. In Bostad. Over Andre Rublev to make the final, lost that final to Sarundalo, who was on fire that week, but that was his third clay court final of the season. And I'm pretty sure after that week, I think I had Nico Pereira on this show and we were like singing Baez's praises. I was all excited about him because it's an electrifying style of tennis that he plays. And for his age And what he did on the challenger circuit in 2021, it really felt like he was on his way. And then, again, he he couldn't win a match after that. He really couldn't. 16 of 17. So then the question was like, all right, what's going on with this bias slump? The obvious transition was there was no more clay courts. Bostad's the last, that was the last clay court week of the year. You had those three weeks of clay court tennis after Wimbledon, and then it's kaput on the clay tour level right? That's the main thing that changed. Do I think he had some injuries? Yes. Do I think that there was an existential uh, crisis of confidence that, that went beyond what surface he was playing on? Yes. But at the end of the day, let's not ignore what's happened here. We're back on the clay. We're back on the clay. And now he wins another title. So this has to be pretty mental for Baez. But his current splits, hardcourt versus clay court, are absolutely absurd. He's 26 and 15 on clay. He's five and twenty-one on hardcourt. So the difference in win percentage there, clay sixty-three percent, hardcourt nineteen percent. It's an insane disparity. So huge for him ultimately to break out of the slump. It doesn't matter that he did it on clay, he just needed to win some matches and he did it. Didn't have to face a top 50 player, must be said. But it's a huge title for him regardless. Glad to see him back on the right track, winning some tennis matches. Lastly, Wu. Wu Yibing, Beats John Isner. Maiden title at the Dallas Open. Perhaps the even more victory came in the semifinal. Beat Taylor Fritz. Couple of words on this before we talk to Mike. Uh, this match turned into the best of 3 tiebreak sets version of Isner Mahout. Much better, much more entertaining than Isner Mahout. Less novel, but in terms of like the drama, how gripping it was, the quality, much better. But in terms of best of three tiebreak sets, this is pretty much Isner Mahout in this match. And uh, it's incredibly impressive for Wu to come away out of that situation with the title. Because John, throughout his career, has proven that that's his sweet spot. Like, that's that's how he wins. That's what he does. That's the John Isner. 492 tiebreaks won in Isner's career. That's the most of all time. 61 of those tiebreaks are deciding set tiebreaks. That's the most of all time. After the first set against Wu, where he won a tiebreak, he was 6-0 in tiebreaks at the Dallas Open. Win percentage, all-time in tiebreaks, Isner, 61%, 61 61.12 to be exact. That's 12th all time. 12th all time in tiebreak win percentage. If you look at the list, the the names above Isner, at least eight Hall of Famers. Some guys who like might be in at some point, like a Zverev is above him actually, uh, which I was surprised to see. But 12th all time in tiebreak win percentage, eight Hall of Famers above him. Basically, you get John into a tiebreak and a deciding set tiebreak especially and you're in his element. You were in his zone here. His territory. Dallas. That's where he lives. That's where John Isner lives. Woo. Never been in a tour final. Like, situationally, he was supposed to lose. And he played awesome. And, and let's also cover, I guess, kind of why John is so successful in these tie breaks. And there's no like super complicated or surprising answer here. But the serve that John Isner possesses is a pressure-averse weapon. It doesn't matter what the scoreboard says or how tight he should theoretically be. The nerves just don't come out in the serve, And as an offensive weapon, that's a huge superpower because generally speaking, and statistically, there have been studies that literally back this up. Offensively, players are worse under pressure. They hit less aces. They hit less winners. That's what nerves and tightness, that's what it does. It takes away your aggression. And John, with his serve, gets to combat that uh, in a way that not only limits opportunities for him to make mistakes, right? if he only has to swing the racket once and it's his serve, there's no chance for him to get tight and make an unforced error off the ground. Let that tightness kind of seep in to the points where he's on serve, the important points that he needs to win. It also amplifies his opponent's nerves on their serve. I mean, just mentally, this dynamic is a huge advantage for Isner. And if you're playing John, you have to be as reliable dictating against him off the ground behind your serve. You need to be as reliable in doing that as John is at serving. And that's hard. Like, we get that Isner doesn't move well. We get that Isner doesn't return that well. We get that you should be able to take care of your serve against Isner. Yeah, but to do that under pressure without error when it's seven all in the tiebreak and now it's eight all in the tiebreak and now it's nine all in the tiebreak and John is making balls. Like you have to execute and win these rallies. Whereas, I mean, Isner with, again, with his serve and his early aggression, he's just having to do less. He's, you know, he's hitting serves He's not having to execute too many balls behind his serve uh, because that's just how he plays. So for for Wu to dictate as reliably as Isner served, and by the way, served very, very well in the tiebreak, is unbelievably impressive. Wu Bing wins the tiebreak 14-12, saves three championship points in the tiebreak, four in the match. I think the one that John would have really wanted back was the one in the second set where he had a look at a second serve return uh that he just slightly mishit enough for Wu to get into the rally. Ultimately, Wu Yi Bing wins two consecutive tiebreaks against John Isner, wins his maiden title. And there's probably plenty more ahead for Wu Yi Bing. That's what we want to talk about and break down with Mike Cation. We're joined once again by Mike Cation, broadcaster, the USTA Pro Circuit, Australian Open, US Open, and a Wu Yibing aficionado. Mike, you were on a broadcast last week uh, of, a, of an exhibition from Dallas for Tennis One, I believe, and you predicted Wu Yibing to win the Dallas Open title. I feel
1: like I've got my pick already in my head. <laughs> I'm set. i know
0: who it is you're talking about pick to win the whole event the whole event okay. i don't even need to
1: fill everything out
0: okay it's
1: Wu Yi Bing. guy's gonna win it all
0: now i am going to deem that anoint that if you will the best prediction we've ever seen in the history of tennis media oh. why did you predict will you Bing to win the dallas open
1: um Thanks for having me Gil, it's great to be back with you. Um, As always, I really enjoy getting to watch your videos and always being a part of it as well. So I appreciate that invite. Um, I saw him play indoors last year in Rome um, and Indianapolis, both events that he won last year um, on the challenger level. Um, And his ability to be as clean as he is off of the ground in a controlled environment made me know and be very confident that in an indoor setting he's going to be great um and that's obviously shown through right um when I saw the draw come out and I saw I you know obviously I think it was it was um Michael Moe first round and I was just like okay that can that can be tricky Mike's obviously pretty comfortable as well gets past that though he gets Shapovalov and that's a matchup that I felt really comfortable with because I'm just like okay Shapo can have those days right where 18 errors going every single way he can obviously play incredibly well we know that um, but it just felt like one of those matchups where I thought that um, Wu was going to be a little bit more in control offensively and Chapo with his defensive issues that was going to be a real good matchup and then I just found myself thinking well why not I don't think anybody yet took him seriously and and thought of him as, as a real threat and as you know Gil from being around the sport so long you know they People will say all the time, every single player will say, I take all these players seriously. I know that that level at the Challengers is so good, you know, and just go through the motions of saying, Yeah, I, I think he's great. But when somebody's 98 in the world, you don't always have that same, you know, you're maybe in 95% versus 100%. And he is a guy who's going to be seated at, at the Grand Slams very, very soon. I know that that level is there. Um, obviously we, we saw it in, in the semifinal, right? That was a a pretty incredible matchup with Taylor. Some of the ball striking there was just phenomenally good. Um, and, and I thought that was going to be the one matchup that like, if he lost to Taylor Fritz and you know, my prediction doesn't come true. So be it. That's a, that's a tough matchup against a guy who's what now seven in the world. So, um, that was the lone one I was really concerned about, but I just found myself thinking, yeah, this guy's world-class, um, he's top 20 player. If he stays healthy um, and why not pick him? Because it's, you know, it, it, nowadays in media, if you get a prediction wrong, it's gone by the wayside in about two days anyways. But I'm happy this one turned out correct.
0: I, for the record, Mike, I did decide to have you on before I actually knew that you had predicted that. So <laughs> it wasn't just because of the prediction. I right? don't think of it. Uh, but I was also very impressed that that you went on the air to say so congratulations I did make him a dark horse for the Australian Open didn't quite yeah. work out but I I saw what he did I mean let's talk about it last year he wins three challenger titles in a row you have a front row seat for that what are your lasting memories of that title run and I know you love the the storytelling aspect as well of this stuff and we Bing's an amazing story
1: well, I, I think um, I, I did an interview with him, I believe it was after Indianapolis, where he beat Alex Kovacevic, um, who actually beat him a week ago, right, in in Cleveland. But um, he beat Alex Kovacevic and fought off, I think it was seven match points in the final there. um And and we just kind of had one of those 10-minute, very relaxed conversations where he just told me a little bit about how um, he wouldn't have had the success he was having without that injury layoff that he had, the three years, obviously the back issue uh, on top of it, obviously COVID and and China, that complication. Um, but he was, he was so um, mature, especially considering all of that time off. And I think that was what really stuck with me was that he didn't seem like an entitled young man. Obviously the US Open junior success would kind of lead to that. Um, he didn't seem overwhelmed by it either at the same time it felt very mature and balanced and i'm i'm struck with that and that's kind of that lasting memory was that he never had any moment of panic never had any moment where he didn't look comfortable even when he was trailing at times And I just was so impressed with that because I, I, you know, Gil, when you're around athletes like that, that's special. When there's no fear at any time, there's just this even headed thing, Um, you know, throughout an entire match, throughout an entire week. And it's, it's truly unique and special. Um, And for him to show me that during that three week stretch was really impressive. Um, And I think that's going to be such a lasting characteristic for him. And as he said, it wouldn't have happened for him if he'd just gone straight into the pros. Um, and to to kind of expand on that, Gil, i've I've been thinking a lot about him and also Ben Shelton. Um, you know, and kind of they actually became friends after those couple of weeks indoors, um, which was really cool. Obviously, two guys from very different backgrounds and, you know, woo with his success as a junior. Shelton barely playing anything as a junior. But what I think both of them had for various different reasons was just kind of a different experience over the last few years. Shelton obviously playing baseball and football um, uh, for a much longer time than a lot of other kids who specialize early. Woo having that ability to be away from the sport in a way for a couple of years. I think that actually provided both of them just a little bit better perspective and maturity. Um, which in terms of, and this is maybe a you know you and I chatting for an hour here about whether we should be, you know, putting kids at 10, 12 into those grind sessions, you know in, in going for a gold ball. I don't know if that's necessarily the the thing, but Ben and and you being both just have this you know different maturity that their experience, you, you shouldn't have it. You shouldn't have that level of maturity with such little experience at the highest level. So um, that's really what I'm going to have as my lasting memory of you being in that particular stretch.
0: It was a, a very unique interview. And I'll, I'll plug your podcast here, um, Behind the Racket, which you do with, with Noah Rubin. That particular interview was just yourself, and it went up on the feed. And that was the first time I had heard him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he was he was very honest. He was very tired after that yes. final... Uh, with with Kovacevic. Um, that's that's fascinating though. So the three year layoff, did not play internationally for three years. Right. You think that refreshed him mentally to a point where he was ready to fulfill his potential once he came back?
1: I think if he played, he he would be successful. He will be successful no matter what. You know, injuries mm-hmm. being the one you know thing, the caveat we have to throw out there. But yeah, I think you know the, the what he did last year, thirty seven and seven four challenger titles, you know, so many of, I think it was four or five of those seven losses coming by way of injury. Um, I don't know that that would have been possible for him in the first couple of years out of, you know, right out of juniors. Uh, I think he would be the first to admit that as well, that there's, you know, you come in as a junior champion and start playing some challengers. There are going to be a lot of Those old veterans who want to knock you off because you're an arrogant little jerk, right? I mean, that happens all the time. I see it every single year um, at doing the USTA Pro Circuit Challenger events. He didn't have that type of attitude. He was very much just like, I'm going to go out, perform the way I can perform. I'm going to take care of my body afterwards. Something that 18-year-olds just don't do. Um, and, and yeah, it, it felt like it was, I was watching a 27 year old man play tennis and that was clearly not the case.
0: There's also a lot of talent there. Let's talk through his game. You mentioned the cleanliness of the hitting indoors, the aggression, I mean, to me, I see a couple of things. One, a a level of timing on the return where he's able to take the ball early and still drive the ball. Uh, His backhand is nearly just as offensive as his forehand, which is not the case uh, for most players. And and the quickness is is certainly there. Those are the the big three things that stand out for me.
1: Gil, you hit. nail on the head with that uh uh, specifically the returning is the one that i i thought i actually put a tweet out and i went back and and looked at it i said when i watched him play i think it was orlando last year i think that's right but i i I said this he's a top five returner like this this is top five returner in the world right now his ability the hand-eye coordination that's necessary to be able to do that as you said taking it early and it looked effortless It's just like, I don't don't know, you know, if he just had the matches underneath him, he'd be top 50 right then and there. Um, But you hit it exactly right. That's the thing. His ability to just take it, see it, that cleanly is something that can't be taught, right? That hand-eye coordination is, that is the gift from God, whatever belief system you have. That's the one you can't teach. Um, But yeah, his ability to take things offensively and his ability to inject pace is phenomenal Uh, you'll you'll be in the midst of just a a a normal rally and then all of a sudden just that arm and as loose as it is just taking and, and throwing in an extra couple miles per hour especially off that forehand wing that is again something that's incredibly special that does lead me to the one big question mark that i just mentioned is the injuries i mean let's listen the back was the one that caused the initial problems um and really set him back along with covid to miss the three years but you'll see that, that sleeve that's on that right arm. And right afterwards, I, I noticed it as well. He The first thing he did is he took off that sleeve was rub that right elbow. I think that's going to be the real question mark. I know last year when he was traveling in, in some of the smaller hotels that we are at, some of the challengers, you know, he had multiple rooms because he was also even at that level, he had a physio that was with him day in, day out to make sure that that body is is strong. And I think that is my real concern for him is how is that body going to hold up?
0: Okay. Uh, thank you for getting ahead of, of that kind of line of questioning. And that's what we do. We both when, when, when we both do this. Uh, <laughs> The the health. What about indoors outdoors? Okay, I just want to because I I always have my antennas up uh, with with runs like this. Whether it be Felix last year winning three titles in a row in the fall and then coming into the Australian Open, I, is he a top five contender or was that because of the roof? Uh, where do you see that playing out for for Wu Yibing?
1: Yeah, no, that's a legitimate question. Um, and I, I think that's that's going to also be a, a real issue. I saw him win the title in Orlando with good quality wins. It was over Chris Eubanks, um, Emilio Gomez, and Jason Kubler. Those, I mean, that's three, obviously, pretty solid top 100 names, although Chris Eubanks needs one, one or two wins this week to get 100. Not that I keep track of those kind of things for reason, but um, yeah, I mean he's he 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 had a win over Jordan Thompson in in Zagreb last year. Um, you know, competitive with Jason Kubler in Zagreb on the clay as well. I I think you know it's one of those questions that we can't really. I sh- I didn't even mention the U.S. Open. Obviously beating Nuno Borges. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, obviously lost in straight sets to Daniel Medvedev. But I, I think he's a guy who's going to. Um, His footwork adjustment ability, you mentioned the speed, right? But on on top of it, just to get to the right spot, Um, again, something we won't really know until we see it at the highest levels, there might be some adjustments, especially on the clay, see how he does with that. I think that is completely fair. I believe very much though, Gil, like you said, I believe in that footwork. I believe in the, the speed ability and the adjustment ability. We've seen that indoors. I think that will translate very well outdoors as well, because... A lot of times with an indoor player who's able to do that, a lot is just the serve and getting to the first forehand, right? There's a lot more components into his game. We certainly have seen that this week. Um, The ball striking against Fritz in particular, his ability to control points and really construct them. I don't have as many concerns about that. So I think it's just about the footwork more than anything
0: else. Excellent point. Um, What about the star power? Am I reading this correctly? Uh, Because it it feels like game style, check, very entertaining, very infectious, personality, he's got a sense of humor on him, check, the unique background, which, hey, that's a big deal when it comes to who's going to be a star. Uh, When you you look at a a Naomi Osaka of the world, or I mean, I guess the best comparison here, Lee Na was an enormous global superstar. This guy has a lot of potential. And by the way, uh, feel free to bring in Jerry Shang into this conversation uh, for this question.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, <laughs> Jerry, Jerry, uh, he's an interesting guy and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. I, but you're, you're exactly right. Lina is obviously the easy comparison, um, but yeah, we, we really haven't seen a, a Chinese male tennis star to, to have that kind of an impact, right? I think financially, he is going to, within the next couple of months, have contracts that are going to set him his family up for generations. That is set. Um, yeah, his his comedy is dry. He is very much uh, you and I have an age difference, Gil, but he's very much more in in your generation. He's tech savvy. He's he's a gamer. Um, you know, I, I actually sent Blair Henley, uh, who was doing the Encore MCs, I, I said, hey, listen, he just got a brand new computer. I know he's gaming a lot right now. You might want to ask him about that. This he's he's very dry and personable. And yeah, the, the fact that he has already like very quickly the interactions with Ben Shelton, some of those guys, there's no issue with the language barrier at all. A lot of time spent in Florida. Sky's the limit. Um I don't, you, you and I are always kind of, I think both of us kind of say this is, you know, you can put him in that discussion for Grand Slam potential Gill. I think that's the kind of way I like to look at it. At least do I think, do I think he will, I think he's got a good shot. I think that's a possibility for him. If that happens, I mean, that's, that is, that is multi- billion dollars in, in <laughs> terms of the fact that the Chinese are, have always been looking for that male um, superstar in, in this particular sport and have invested obviously so much into it. Guy could make just, yeah, literally billions of dollars over the next couple of years if he is able to achieve on the tennis court what we think is possibly there. Jerry. <sighs> Jerry. Um, I think I th- I have a couple more questions about Jerry right now than I do about Bing, and that is solely because of the fact that physically he's not there yet. Same kind of idea, right? That ball striking is, I mean, come on. We, we all know top 100, top 75, top 50. I have more concerns about Jerry strictly because of his size. That's it. Um, I, yeah. I think I think that is a, a completely, yeah, that's, that's not saying anything about his talent level at all, Gil. It's just much more about just can his body hold up the rigors of going and doing it 30, 35 weeks a year? He's 17. He has another three, four, five, six years of growth in front of him with that body. If if that question is answered, I think the same kind of possibility is there for him with his ability. The lefty as well, you add that component in. I, I think there's a lot of upside for Jerry. I just want to make sure that the body is <laughs> kind of that first point for him.
0: Yeah, very fair. And the height has certainly come into play on his serve early in his career. For those who don't know, Jerry Shang, world number 165 currently, uh, also from China. That's kind of why he's folded into this conversation because – there's just little to zero traditions out of that country of of male players who are uh as good as as jerry shang and and Yi Bing. um so we will see what the future holds for them
1: jerry is also incredibly personable though um, okay i i happened to sit next to him on a i i can't even tell i think it was charlottesville i think um last year but we were on the same flight we were in the same row and he just kind of sat and talked to me for a while through you know like we were, it was one of those very tiny planes. Uh, and we're just across the the aisle from each other and just having a conversation the entire time. He loves tennis. He's uh, also very interested in the, the business side. And he's also, he's he's same thing, very social media active. So he kind of gets all the memes and things that are so necessary to be really fluent today in, in American culture. Same same type of thing though, Gil. If, if the tennis comes again, he's gonna be financially set for generations
0: it's great for the sport it yeah. is um all right i got to ask you about two other guys and then i'm gonna let you then i'm gonna let you go shelton you mentioned them uh would you like to make an argument i'm not saying i'm not ordering you to make an argument i'm okay. asking you if you would like to make an argument for ben shelton to finish this year in the top 10 it's there if you want it wow um
1: Wow, Gil, that puts me on the spot. Uh, oh, would you like to, do you want me to,
0: should I soften it? Uh, go ahead. Okay, would you like to make an argument that Ben Shelton finishes top 20?
1: I don't know that anybody, on, honestly, Gil, I'm, you're gonna, there are going to be people who watch this, and I know the YouTube comments are going to be bad about me copping out here. <laughs> we don't know what he looks like on clay we don't know what he looks like on grass i have no idea what the hell's going to happen come april N- literally no idea like there is three three and a half months that i'm just like i I, I don't I have no idea what he's going to do um I, I i think there's enough time here with miami and indian wells specifically you you and i both know you know being there having those opportunities he has no fear much like um, you being, they, they are they're gamers right like Ben has so many deficiencies in his game right now and I, I don't mean that as a to to criticize, but it's just like that that's what see, people see is that potential right like the backhand's still not a weapon at, at all still not comfortable moving forward big steps are in front of him but he shows up in the big moment. so I, I think I think it's possible that he will get to top 20. I, I think that is, very much a realistic goal. I don't know what that four months in the summer, I have no flipping idea what will happen from April 1st until middle of July when Wimbledon finishes. No freaking idea. I'm thrilled to watch it. And I will be watching that first <laughs> match on clay with great intent.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, again, this is a guy who, has he ever played on, on red clay? I mean, just likely not
1: sessions. just in practice sessions okay. in Orlando, that's it. okay.
0: So yeah, th- this is what we're talking about. Like for those who don't know Ben Shelton, the, he was not someone as a junior who was traveling internationally, uh, getting on planes, flying to Europe and playing on red clay. So that is the question mark. I actually think there's a lot in his game that would, uh, be suitable for red clay. He's got a nasty kick serve, huge forehand.
1: I, I, I fully agree with you, Gil. I also think you put that serve on the grass. Yeah. But good god like i mean it, it, it would be untouchable at time yeah i i don't know what happens if he comes up against somebody who's going to put a lot of balls back and play on grass is he going to be able to to find that first forehand the way he wants to is he going to be patient enough on clay because he doesn't have match experience as you know that is going to be so important I, 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 that's what makes me question it is not big picture five ten years you and I agree there are a lot of weapons yep. on both of those surfaces that will be that'll translate very well. But the first time, no idea what the hell's going to happen.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, by the way, I am worried a little bit about the backhand just with how long it takes to produce it. Pro level ball comes quicker yep. in, in college. It was going to be fine. But I think that's also going to be something that will will be shored up uh, in the next couple of years. Fully agree. Arthur Fis made a tour level semifinal last week. He's pretty electric. I, I hate to make this too much about where he's from, uh, but French tennis, yes. it really had a, it, it, it had quite the era. and I think everybody will be able to understand this pretty well because everybody knows exactly how Sanga, Simone, Monfils, and Gasquet play tennis. Does Feast remind you of any of those four players?
1: Yeah, listen, I, I only, I didn't get to watch as much last week, unfortunately. That was just, un, it just didn't work with my schedule being here at home and parenting properly, Gil. Uh, I try to do the best I can with that. Um, but I, I remember he actually played with us in uh, Savannah last year. And yeah, listen, I, I you you I, I think Songa was the one that just immediately struck you know, accord with me just in terms of that incredible power that he's able to bring. Um, and I, I immediately was just like, OK, I see some of that. But yeah, you saw a flare that reminds you of Monfils, right? That that just obviously the name as well doesn't hurt. Um, but yeah, the, the, the combination of those guys. But what, what did strike me is um, I felt that there was, you know, t- I, I felt there was that level of professionalism early. Um, with him that week, because I, if I remember right, he either lost first or second round, Gil, um, and at a challenger in, in uh, Savannah, Georgia, and I just found myself thinking, yeah, he's going to have some moments, it's going to be a matter like he it seems like he's putting in the work week in week out. I actually, you know, I kind of, this is this is harsh, but I, I kind of want him to kind of let those four be those four. Incredible success that they had, and you know it's it's unfair that we say, well, yeah, they didn't win a a Grand Slam, none of them did, but it's that's how we are in the media, we're jerks. Um, But he's, (laughs) I I hope he he, I think he has much more of that ability of, of being just that rock solid professional with that entertainment flair. I mean, listen, Nick Kyrgios is is somebody who I actually think maybe that's a little bit more of who he could play like. He has that athleticism to, to be as good of a ball striker with that kind of power and pace and that flair, hopefully not with that same attitude necessarily, right? Um, the, mm-hmm. the negative side that goes along, but I, I think that's maybe more who I found myself thinking, oh, okay, the artistry, you know, is French, but there's also just incredible, yeah, that, that flash, that flair. So I think that maybe that's the more the comparison that I would go to.
0: Love it. Looking forward to seeing what what he does, how he follows up that run in Montpellier. Mm. Mike, you're terrific. Appreciate it. Nobody better than you to have these kinds of conversations about these these breakout stars on tour.
1: Well, Gil, I just want to say uh, I, I do. I don't watch every week. Um, but I do watch fairly regularly. Um, I'm I'm a little jealous of of your background there, uh, the Syracuse Orange um, back there, and obviously Christopher Clary's is, is his book is is up mm-hmm. there presented well. I I'm just I, I've watched your videos. I just have been building the studio right behind me, and it's it's black. I've got some soundproof stuff that's going up and. I, I want you to know the next time uh, that you invite me back, whenever that may be, I hope to match uh, your background shot for shot as best I can, because I, I think I'm lacking in that department, your flair. Um, so I'm, I'm working on it. I want you to know that.
0: I, I love that. Like, this is what it's all about. Uh, you, you push me uh, in plenty of ways. I'm happy to be the background guy if if i'm the one who's going to bring you to the background that's going to i'm good with that
1: you are you you your personality really shines through a lot in in the videos obviously i you know i'm joking about the flare but your personality shines through your passion shines through and and that is for for i think grizzled older uh broadcasters like us um that is that is where i do learn a lot from watching your videos is just because you're what you do um our our mutual friend alex gruskin as well but like the the younger generation of tennis broadcasters you guys are taking it to different levels um with your ability to analyze the on-court stuff a little bit more um and get in some depth and i really Mm -hmm. appreciate and respect that very much um, especially with how much passion shows through in those discussions
0: thank you thank you very much mike looking forward to uh hearing you at your next couple stops and i'll see you in miami
1: sounds good buddy